Spirit of God radiates these walls every time we come together. You know, I, I love churches that are in neighborhoods. There's such an influence. Every time we gather together, it's just that just the power of God, the Spirit of God begins to, to radiate beyond these walls out into these neighborhoods surrounding us. And I believe that God's doing great things. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here, Pastor and Sister Torres, for inviting us down. The beautiful hotel room. I feel right at home. I'm a country boy. I love log cabins. It's perfect. I've been trying to convince my wife for 17 years to move into a log cabin, so I'm right at home. And uh, it's also really, really an honor to have my, my family with me this week. And uh, it's not often anymore, uh, whether for business or for church, that I get to travel with my family with uh, the cost of travel and the, the just kids. It's just, it's a lot harder to travel with kids. And so uh, it, was, uh, it was awesome this week uh, to, for them to be with me. And uh, I'm just, I'm thankful for all that God is doing. I, uh, I've been waiting on the Lord for this for a while, for these meetings. I knew that we would be coming down here and ministering. And I, I uh, you know, I, I, I take it very seriously. Um, anytime a man of God says, hey, come preach in my pulpit for a couple of services, that's a, that's a, it's, it's an honor. I, I, I count it a real privilege, and I'm humbled by that. And so there's a grave responsibility that comes with that. That, okay, Lord, what do you want to say to the body? If I'm coming and I'm, I'm to be your mouthpiece, he's asked me to wait on the Lord and come and deliver what the Lord has got to say. And so I've been waiting on him, and I felt like I, I had heard from him. I felt like I knew what we were going to do in each service until, uh, I believe it was Wednesday morning, the Lord woke me up in the wee hours of the morning and dropped something into my spirit that I want to share with you tonight. And I, I really wrestled with it. I, I literally wrestled with it until about halfway here. And my wife is my witness between the hotel and here tonight. I looked at her and I said, I think I've got peace. I think I've got direction. And so what I'm sharing with you tonight, what I feel like the Holy Ghost wants to talk to us about tonight, wants to help somebody with... Um, I feel like he's already confirmed through the voice of your pastor. I believe that God wants to heal. I believe that God wants to fill. I believe that God wants to restore. You believe that tonight? Why don't you clap your hands to him in agreement right now? Lord, I agree with your spirit. I agree with what you want to do tonight in the room. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want to draw your attention to two passages of Scripture in the book of John. If you're comfortable standing, that's fine. If you want to stay seated, that's fine. It's no, no disrespect to me, but you're free to do what you feel comfortable doing. John chapter 5 and verse 1 and John chapter 9 and verse 1. And I'm, I'm in the ESV. I'll probably jump all around tonight in a bunch of different translations, so you'll just have to bear with me. But John chapter 5 and verse 1 says... After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Verse 5 says that one man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. Everybody say 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. Verse 6 says when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. Anybody feel like you've been in your situation for a long time tonight? Anybody feel like you're on a, a freeway with no exits tonight? Jesus, when he walked into the middle of this man's situation, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, you want to be healed? I'm asking somebody tonight, are you ready? Do you, do you want to be healed? Is tonight the night? 
Are you ready to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Did you come ready to receive it tonight? Are you ready to, to be baptized in Jesus' name and have all your sin? Jesus asked the question. It's, this is up to you. You know I'm able to do it. Are you ready to be delivered tonight? Are you tired of being bound by the things of this world? Are you tired of being that bound by substances? Are you ready? It's not up to me. It's up to you. Do you want to be healed? Verse 7 said, the sick man answered him. Oh, we have all kinds of excuses for the Lord. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going Another steps down before me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. John chapter 9 and verse 1 tells us a similar story. But this time he passed by and he saw a man that was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? But that the works Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4 says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5 says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. This is Jesus. He spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and came back seeing. With the help of the Holy Ghost for just a few moments tonight, I'll try not to take a long time. I want to talk to you about the tale of two pools. The tale of two pools. Would you lift your hands towards heaven right now? And let's ask Jesus to talk to us. Let's prepare our hearts and our minds to receive from him what he has for us over the next few moments of time. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you right now for your presence that's in this room. We thank you for your great grace that is evident in the room right now. I ask you, Father, I ask you that your voice would prevail. I pray right now that you would silence every other voice. In the name of Jesus, I pray let one voice prevail. Let a voice of clarity prevail in the room tonight, Father. And we will give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory, the worship, and the honor tonight, Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. In our first scripture text tonight, back in John chapter 5, we find this, this very, very well-known story, and, and it's quoted a lot uh, throughout uh, the Gospels, or uh, throughout uh, church and Christianity, and, and we, we oftentimes relate to it, and we've, we've said it from the pulpit, we've preached about it, we've sang about it, and you know, it's the idea of the troubling of the water. There was this focus of this man who the scripture calls he was paralyzed, he was invalid, that, that he had this idea in his mind that his cure was to get into this water that he sat near, that he had sat near for 38 years. And he relays this idea to Jesus that if I could just get in this water at this certain season, there's this certain time of the year when, when the water's troubled. Anybody here ever tried to control God's timing? I'm going to tell God when I'm ready to give this up in my life. God's been working on me. God's been convicting me. God's drawing me by his spirit. But I'm not quite ready yet. i got a couple other things that I need to get done. And he was telling God that it wasn't time yet. He didn't even know who he was talking to. But he was letting him know, you know, it's just, it's not the season for miracles because that season only happens once a year. And, and the angel comes and he troubles the water. And, and, and it's almost like Jesus just blows past all that. Right? You read this story and, and, and Jesus listens to this whole thing and, and he says, okay, I mean, great, that's awesome. So you believe that an angel comes and troubles the water and he just looks at him and he doesn't address it. He doesn't say, well, I control the angel. He doesn't say, I control the water. By the way, I created the water. He doesn't say any of those things. He just says, 
Do you want to be healed? We get so caught up on the details. You know how many people have missed out on miracles because they come into the house of God and they're like, well, they didn't sing the right song tonight and the pastor didn't preach exactly to me and, and we check out. We, we, our, our minds are somewhere else. Our spirits are somewhere else and we sit here and we're just trying to pass the time. I know nobody in this church does that, but we just try to pass the time. I got things to do tomorrow. I'm busy. I got errands to run. I got all these things that are happening. And, and, and all the while, God is in our midst. And he's asking us, do you want to be healed? So I started, I started looking into this. I started studying this. I wanted to understand this. Because Jesus circumvented. This man believed something, and Jesus circumvented the whole process that this guy had built up in his mind on how his healing was going to happen. Can I say that again? Jesus circumvented the whole idea this man, everybody say man, had conjured up in his mind on how his miracle was going to transpire. So I started, started looking into this. I started studying this and trying to understand this pool of Bethesda. And, and, uh, and, and, and as I begin to look into it, I, I begin to read about these porches. And the more I read, the more I realized that most theologians and rabbinical writings will point you back to the place that this pool of Bethesda and all these colonnades were actually a temple built to the Greek gods. It was Greek mythology. In fact, there was no angel that came down and stirred the water. It was a pool that had a dam on each end of it. It was near the sheep gate. The scripture tells us that. And once a year, they would open the dam and let the pool run out and open the other dam and let fresh water run in because the water got too stinky. And somewhere along the line, people created this idea that it was an angel that stirred the water and if you got into it, you got healed. All it was was somebody with a rope and a pulley lifting up some... You see how we build things up in our mind? And Jesus circumvented the whole situation. He just looks at him. Are you ready to be healed? So now, now I'm asking, why in the world? Why is this story in the Bible? Pastor, what? Why, did, why is this written in the Gospels? Why did John, who was very articulate in everything that he wrote in his Gospel, why did he include this story? Here's what I felt from the Lord as I asked myself that question. Jesus walked in to a temple of an idol. He walked into a situation where people had made something up and had created some ideology that wasn't spiritual and had nothing to do with God or his power or his, or his ability to heal. In fact, it turned into a, just an absolute mess where there's people laying around this pool and everybody's just looking for somebody to pick them up. Hopefully somebody will come by this year when they let all the water out of the pool and pick me up and get me into it. And Jesus walks into the middle of that. First of all, he's in Jerusalem for a festival. He had to go to the temple. He had to be there to celebrate the festival. So he's in Jerusalem and as he's walking through Jerusalem, the scripture tells us that he decides to stop by this pool. Wait, aren't you supposed to be at the temple? Aren't you supposed to be up there celebrating the feast? Well, he just had to make a little stop on the way. Come on, somebody. He had, he had a stop he needed to make before he got to the temple. The scripture tells us that he ended up at the temple later on in the story, but he had to make a stop. And so here comes the Lord walking into all these porches, and he's looking around. And the, the scripture tells us that there's, there's lame and blind and paralyzed people. They're laying everywhere all around this pool. He walked up to one man. One person that he walked up to and asked the question, do you want to be healed? 
You know what I believe he was trying to tell us or what the writer of the gospel was trying to relay to us? That it doesn't matter how dire your situation is. It doesn't matter what kind of mess you live in. It doesn't matter what kind of situation you come out of. God has the ability to walk smack dab into the middle of it. He's not going to walk around it. He's not going to shun you. He's not going to push you to the side. All of those things that the enemy tells us. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't know where you're at. God's not concerned about you in your current state or your current situation. But I've come in the power of the Holy Ghost to tell you tonight that he absolutely cares. He cared enough about one man to walk into an anti-God, anti-Christ facility and say, hey you, do you want a healing? Come on, he's walking into somebody's situation tonight. He's on his way into somebody's life tonight. He's on his way into somebody's impossible situation. Do you want to be healed? That's what he asked him. He says, take up your bed and walk. Verse 9 says, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, everybody say afterward. Jesus finds him in the temple. What? He's been there 38 years. I don't know how old he was. And the scripture doesn't tell us that he ever got to the temple one time. Why was he hanging out by the pool at the sheep gate? Why, is this, why does he wait until he gets his miracle to go to the temple? Why is it that we go everywhere but the house of God when we got a need? Why is it that we go looking everywhere else for an answer instead of on our knees in prayer? Why is it that we call everybody looking for advice instead of going in and closing the door to the prayer closet and praying to our God which is in secret? He who knows everything. He who's concerned about everything in our lives. It's easier to send a mass text out to everybody. It's easier to get on the phone and talk to everybody about it than to let the spirit and power of God minister to me and change me and do a work in me. So here he is, a little while later, he's in the temple hanging out. This gives us a little insight into the story. Jesus looks at him. He says, hey, don't sin anymore. Stop sinning. Why weren't you in here? Why were you hanging out over there on the porches around the sheep gate? Why weren't you in the temple? Jesus is running into him. Jesus had been to the temple many times already. Fancy meeting you here. You got a need. You're at the house of God. You're a couple days late, sir. Where have you been the last 38 years? So let's jump ahead to John chapter 9. We got another man. We got another pool. Jesus is passing by. The scripture tells us that, that he sees a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. Think about that for a moment. Why is, he, why is this man sick? Did he sin? He was born blind. Did he sin? Did his mom and dad sin? Jesus said, nope. This wasn't about sinning. This is so that my power... And my authority can be manifest in the midst of this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So let let me get this straight, Lord. I'm going to be a disciple for a minute. 
hey, hey, who, who sinned, mom or dad? How, how did this, look at him. He's been blind since birth. He was born, obviously, without any eyesight or eyeballs or anything that was there that, that, to give him any sight. You, you obviously made a mistake, and obviously this mistake was due to somebody else making a mistake, or maybe you did it on purpose and got, God doesn't make mistakes. God didn't forget about you. God hasn't abandoned you. He doesn't make mistakes. He said, his, he said to his disciples, I did that on purpose. Okay, okay, let me get this straight here. So you caused a baby boy to be blind from birth. You placed him by the roadside because sometime later you knew you'd be walking down the streets of Jerusalem. You'd run into this blind man. You would perform a miracle, and everybody that was around would see and believe that you were the Christ. Yep. Why do we spend so much time questioning God about all the things that happened to us? I'm guilty. Why? 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 It's our favorite question. Why? Especially my three-year-old. But why? But why? But why? Right? Some of us are still three years old spiritually. Why, God? But why? I got a trial for you. But why? I got a revelation the other day. This is, this is a dumb revelation, but I'm a dumb guy, so you just have to bear with me, Okay? We despise trials. We talk about trials in the church like God just hates our guts. I'm in the trial of my life. Right? I, I, I'm preaching to me tonight, okay? Y'all just, just, just humor me. Preaching to me. I'm not preaching to anybody here. Don't get offended. We don't like trials. We hate trials. Don't, don't put me in a trial, God. You know, my wife said to me the other day, she said, honey, these last two trials that we've been through, I felt them coming. I'm like, can you warn a brother next time? <laughs> Don't keep that info to yourself. That's important information. I need to get ready. Get, prepare me a little more. We don't like trials. I got to thinking about the Olympics. Did you realize that Olympians sign up for trials. I'll just let that sink in for all the slow folk. <laughs> Olympians sign up for trials. What's the purpose of the Olympic trials? What's the purpose? Somebody, what's the purpose? To prove if you're good enough to get to the next level. They're not sending you to Beijing or Salt Lake or any of these other places if you're running a 4940. They send you to the trial and they want you to prove you can run a 435. They want you to prove you can run a 44 and a half before they send you up to the big leagues. But oh, not us Christians. We're skipping college. Draft me right out of high school, Lord. Right? No testing me. I already got me. Can you imagine if there was school with no test? If I can get a college degree without taking a test. Nobody likes tests. But I, why do you take a test? What's the purpose of a test? To see where you're at and to see if they can move you on to the next grade. What happens in school when you fail, fail the test, you fail the grade? What do they do? They hold you back and you do it again. Can we have some pastor talk around here tonight? Is it okay? Is that okay? Some people get so frustrated. I just don't feel like I'm growing. It's because you keep failing the test. You're saying, Lord, use me. Take me to the big leagues. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. He says, okay. He brings a trial along. He says, Gotta shed a few LBs, bro. Still running that 47540. Your 100 meters real slow. 
Keep working, though. Come back in four years. We'll try it again. So he's testing us. He's trying us. So his disciples are saying, did you, did you really? You created this whole mess so that you could get some glory? Yep. And so he, he begins to talk to this man. And he, the scripture tells us that he, he reaches down and he spits in the dust. Now, that, that whole idea of dust isn't all that foreign to us. His apostolics, us, us folks who believe in creation. That whole, we know that God formed man from the dust of the ground. And so here he is again. Here, here he is before a blind man who, who has not had an opportunity to see his entire life. And we see Jesus. He's back in the dust again. And he's getting ready to take something that's of little value to anybody. I mean, you go, go read the whole Gospels. Go read it. He tells them, shake the dust off your feet. If people won't hear you in that town, shake the dust off your feet, move on to another town. He didn't even want their dirt on his sandals. But here he is playing in that dirt he despises. I mean, let's take it a step further. He told Peter, he says, I got to wash your feet. Your feet are dirty. You walked in here down these dusty roads. I need to wash your feet. Peter says, you ain't washing my feet. He says, well, then you don't have no part of me. You're not sitting at my table and eating with all that dirt on your feet. And here's Jesus down playing in the dirt. And then he does the unthinkable to a Jew. He spits on it. What did they do to Jesus in the crucifixion when they were humiliating him? spit and he started making some sort of mud and he slaps it in his eyes and then he tells him he says now I want you Mr. Blind Man to go wash in the pool of Siloam well let, I'm not even going to get into this now we don't have time I mean, if you were blind, if I blindfolded you, I said, I need you to go, just blindfold you right now, and said, I need you to go to 7-Eleven and get me a Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny, right? We'd probably attach a GoPro to his head just so we could watch it on later, put it on YouTube. <laughs> he takes a blind man, puts mud on his face. Of course, he doesn't know that. He just knows he got something splat on his face. It could have been, you know, anything. I'll let your imagination run wild. He just knows something wet and sticky got put on his face. Now he's being told, you got to find your way to the pool. But he didn't send him to just any pool. He sent him to the pool of Siloam. Now, there were ten pools in the city of Jerusalem. They've all got names. You can look them up. Just Google pools of Jerusalem. There were ten pools. They had different names. There was the pool of Hezekiah. There was the pool of Solomon. There was already the pool of Bethesda that we learned about earlier. I mean... Can we just go back there for a second? If there were really angels in that pool stooling, stirring the water around, why didn't Jesus send him to Bethesda? He sent him to Siloam. Now, the scripture tells us that the word Siloam means to be sent. I believe there's, there's great correlation on that. I believe God knew what he was doing in all of this. But he sends him to the pool of Siloam. And he goes and he washes in the pool. And then he comes back. Now, there was this whole, you got to understand something here. Can, can I give just, just a 45-second history lesson about the Gospels? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hated Jesus. They hated him with a passion. And they, they, they tried their very best. Anybody here had anybody that just despised you and hates you? You don't have to raise your hand. But it's like they find everything they can to try to, like, nitpick you, mess with you. But see, Jesus was so well-respected among the crowds. Go read the Gospels. I mean, I don't have time to take you through all the stories. The masses that followed him, the miracles that happened. People thought he was a God. People began to get the revelation, those that followed him, that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was what they'd been waiting on. The Pharisees, they, they were the... They were the 
the elite, the, 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 the Jewish elite of their day, they were the most scholarly. They were the smartest guys. They spent all the time studying. They had their own scribes that were interpreting the scrolls and writing. And you can read, you can read thousands of pages of rabbinical writings. They spent their whole life studying the Word of God and the Torah and trying to comprehend it and, and speak it. And they didn't even realize who it was that was in their midst. They were too scared to tear them apart because everywhere the guy went, you know, you got laymen getting up. You got blind men seeing. So it's like, you want to kill him. You just want to smack him. But this dude's like, don't smack that dude, man. I was blind yesterday, but I can see right now. You coming through me to get to him. Right? So they followed him around in every crowd. Don't be this in the church. In every crowd, there, there, there were the Pharisees watching. Oh, man. Another blind man got healed today. <gasps> he did it on the Sabbath. That was the only thing they could come after him on. You broke the law. That was a serious deal. So they're all upset about it. But here comes Brother Blind Man from birth. We don't, we don't know what his name was. Brother Blind Man from birth. He comes, he comes strolling back into town. He's like, oh, I can see he's still got a little mud streak on his face. You know? Wait, you got healed? Wait, wait, hold on. He got down in the, in the dirt. And he got dirty on the Sabbath. He spit on the Sabbath. He worked on the Sabbath. Oh, my goodness. They're losing their minds. Jesus gives us a little glimpse. He gives us a little insight into why he did what he did and why it was that he allowed a young man to be born blind and why it was that he showed up on this day and did things the way that he did it. It was all so that he could reveal himself to those who were spiritually aware enough to receive the revelation. You know why I sent him to Siloam? The answer is in verse 10. They said to him, how are your eyes open? He answered in verse 11, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes. And said to me, go to Siloam and wash. He could have said, that, that blind man could have said a hundred things. He could have said, well, you know, Jesus told me to go wash my eyes. This man hit me in the face a couple times. I don't know what he put on there, but I went and rubbed water on my face, and now I can see. But he, he told them specifically. He said, he told me to go to the pool of Siloam. Now, when I begin to look at this pool of Siloam amidst all the ten pools in Jerusalem, and I, I begin to wonder why why did he send him to the pool of Siloam? He could have sent him to Bethesda. I think we are determined why he didn't do that. He could have sent him to the pool of Solomon. I mean, that was the wise man's pool, right? Solomon was one of the greatest men in, in, in the Torah and among the Jews. I mean, they, they worshiped him. They love him. He's a hero to them. He could have sent him to the, tomb or to the pool of Hezekiah. But he didn't. He sent him to Siloam. When you look at the pool of Siloam, the pool of Siloam was fed from a stream called Gihon, G-I-H-O-N. And if you do a Bible search on the word Gihon, it'll take you back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10. What is the most studied group book of the Bible among the Jews even to this day? They study the book of Genesis. They study the book of Exodus. They studied the book of Leviticus. They studied the book of Deuteronomy. They studied the prophets. They know it inside and out. Most of them have, have handwritten it and translated it. And they study it. They write about it. They, they devote their entire lives to this. And so when he said, he asked me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now the ears of all of the Pharisees and all the doubters and all the scoffers that were around, were, their ears were now pinned forward. Wait a minute. He sent you to Siloam? 
Siloam runs from Gihon. We know where Gihon runs from because Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us that a river flowed out of the Garden of Eden. Oh, this was the place where creation took place. That river there divided and became four rivers. And verse 11 says the name of the first is the Pishon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stones are there. Verse 13 says that the name of the second river is Gihon. So out of the process of creation... We know what happened on day one. We know what happened on day two. We know what happened on day three. We know what happened on day four. We know what happened on day five, six, and seven. And so did everyone that was around there questioning the blind man. Tell me again how you received your sight. The reasons were twofold. The first one was He wanted them to understand that the power of creation was still in effect. He as the creator could take a blind man who he created. The the scripture says that that you formed me in my mother's womb. They understood that. They had read those things. And to hear him say that nobody sinned, he was born this way so that the glory of God could be manifest and the works of God could be manifest. They heard all of those things. And by sending him to the pool of Siloam, he was connecting that miracle back to the garden, back to creation. And he was putting them on notice that I'm not just a man. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a teacher. But I am the creator. And what I create, I have the ability to recreate. Come on, somebody, hear me right now. Your situation is not hopeless. It may seem hopeless, but it's not hopeless. I understand what the doctor's report says, but you got to understand that you serve the creator. He has the ability to recreate anything in your body. The same God who created a kidney for me once can create a kidney for me again. That three-year-old boy back there playing. Name's Bennett, Bennett Lee. He was born. I'm, I'm coming to a close. The musicians can come. He was born a little over three years ago, three and a half years ago. Second day in the hospital, my wife and I were there with him. We hadn't gone home yet. We're just enjoying new baby boy. Second boy. I started looking at his hands. I said, honey. That dude's ring finger is huge. Look at that ring finger. So like every good American, you know, you straight Google it. What's it mean if you have a long ring finger? Am I the only one that does that stuff? What is this rash behind my ear, Google? (laughs) What? Oh, my God. Get off of Google and get a hold of the throne, will you? That was free. He said, oh, man, people with long ring fingers. Everybody hold your hand up. Your ring, your ring finger is not your longest finger, right? Some people have a long ring finger. They say they're incredibly good at basketball. They can shoot a basketball. Unbelievable. I don't know why. I don't know what the science is. It's just what they said. So I thought, sent me an NBA star. Thank you, Lord. This is my ticket. I don't have to play the lottery anymore. I'm just kidding. I don't play the lottery. A few months went by, and he's, he's now six months old. He's a year old. And we started noticing that these, these two fingers on each side, his index finger, his middle finger, they just, they just didn't look right. They just, they just weren't, they weren't shaping. They weren't forming. So we decided, I think it was a maybe year, year and a half, we, we, we took him to Children's Hospital, had them do an x-ray. They said, we, we, we don't know what to tell you. But they said, if you take, when they showed us the x-ray of his little hands, little tiny hands, they said if you took his hand and you split it down the middle and you covered up this side of his hand and you look just at that, his fingers look perfect. But if you cover up these fingers and you look at just these two fingers over here, they look perfect as well. 
But when you put them together, you look at the hole, you realize there's something wrong with his index finger and his middle finger. And they said, what we discovered through the x-rays is that while most people have three bones in their fingers, he has four. He's got, he's got some deformity in those two fingers. What did, I, what did I say in the beginning? What's the first thing you do as a, as a parent? Something like that happens. Why? Why? Why, God? But I'm telling you something. You talk about a creator. Somebody hear me right now. You talk about a creator. He knows exactly what he's doing. He did not make a mistake. He knows exactly what it is that he was doing. He's got four fingers of his eight on the top, not including thumbs. He's got four fingers that are absolutely perfectly and wonderfully made. Unique in his image. I don't have to ask why. I just have to know that's how he created him. And if he created him that way, then he did it for his glory. And he's got a purpose in all of it. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit asking God why. So he wanted him to know I'm the creator. I created it that way. I can recreate it if I want and make it different. I can create a new one. I can create things that weren't there when I created it the first time and add them in after the fact because I'm the creator. And I'm telling somebody tonight, he's still the creator. His power of creation did not cease on day seven. But God is going to create a miracle out of the mess. God's going to create something good out of what you think is bad. second reason that he sent him to Siloam was so all of the doubters around there would hear the words of the man and know that he could only be talking about the creator that they had studied in and out. Somebody that they thought they knew but were yet to meet who was in their midst and walking around them. Can you imagine Jesus sitting off to the side? This is how I think, how my brain works. He's listening. So tell us again what happened. Oh, he told me. He told me to go wash in the pool of Silo. He didn't send you to Solomon's pool? No, he didn't. What about Bethesda? Did he send you to that pool? No, he didn't send you. What about Hezekiah's pool? No, he didn't send me. He, he sent you to Siloam. Yeah. That's, the, that's the pool that's fed by the river that runs from creation. He, he gave you new eyes. He has to be the Messiah. Was in the process of revealing himself in a brand new way to everybody. Come on, hear me right now. I'm preaching to somebody in the room. You've got to open your eyes spiritually and see that in the midst of your situation, not only is he going to work a miracle, but he is going to reveal himself to you in a way that you have never seen him. He's getting ready to reveal himself to you in a dimension that you have yet to experience your testimony. He revealed himself to you in a way that he never has before, didn't he? He has the power to do it. He desires to do it. You can stand with me. He's got to get us out of the way. Hear me tonight. God's not testing you because he hates you. You're not in a trial because he despises you. You're not encountering sickness because he's done with you and he's just trying to end you. No. His desire is to manifest himself to you in a dimension that you have yet to know him. I, I, I'm, I'm preaching to people, you may have been in church for years. 
you may be here tonight and this is your first, second, third, fourth service and this is all brand new to you. I'm telling you, no matter the level of your revelation, he desires to take you deeper. And the only way that he can take you deeper is if he takes you into things where he can manifest himself to you in ways that you've yet experienced him. Come on, talk to the Lord right now all across the room. If you're comfortable with it, raise your hands. Raise your hands to him and sign a surrender right now. I surrender to you, Jesus. I surrender to you, Jesus. I'm not holding anything back, Father. In the name of Jesus. I'm ready for my miracle, Father. I'm ready for my healing. I'm ready for a greater manifestation of your power, a greater revelation of who you are in my life. In the name of Jesus. Come on, talk to him right now. Talk to him right now all over the building. He's not forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's just trying to reveal himself to you. He wants to manifest his power to you. like the Holy Ghost is calling somebody off the porches of Bethesda tonight and ask you to step into a new dimension of trust. The Holy Ghost is calling you to step into a new dimension of, of, of miracles, a new dimension of signs and wonders in your life. That's what he's calling you to tonight. You've been sitting on the sideline waiting for something to happen. And tonight the Holy Ghost is saying, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. It's time. Tonight's the night. Come on. The front of this place is open. I don't know how you typically do it, but if you need a miracle, if you have a need in your life, I'd get to the front of this place and tell them, Lord, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready. I want my miracle tonight. I'm ready for a greater manifestation of your power. I'm I'm ready for a greater revelation of who you are tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. I reach to you right now, Father. I reach to you right now. I'm reaching to you right now, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 